MSW Media. Hey, this is Sean James. I love soul music, strong drinks, and talking with Dan Dunn on what we're drinking. yourself a glass, sit for a spill, it's time to have some fun, let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking, but this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. What we're drinking, or what I'm drinking anyway, is a barrel whiskey, pear brandy finish. Oh man, it's good stuff. Barrel's one of my favorite uh, brands. This is from their private release collection, and I put a little rock in there. Mm. And I got to tell you, it is delicious. It's a blend of Kentucky whiskeys, the, the oldest being an 18-year-old. And they finish it in a pair of brandy cask, and it is fantastic. All right, all right, all right. I want to uh, start by wishing everyone a safe and happy Thanksgiving. To those of you listening to this episode after the fact, I hope you had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Coming up in a few minutes, I'll be speaking with Mark Sansom. He's the content editor for the World's 50 Best Bars. This is the definitive list of the world's finest drinking venues. We're talking about craft cocktail places, not dive bars. We're talking about nice places. I've been doing this since 2009, and the 2020 list was just announced. They did a virtual ceremony, and Mark is going to tell us all about that. If you like bars, you want to stay tuned for that one. So we just had our 100th episode. This is our episode number 101. Our 100th meant that the show has officially hit puberty, to commemorate that occasion, we've launched a new website, whatwe'redrinking.com. Now, it's still a work in progress. Eventually, we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff. But right now, it's there, and it's up, and it's operating. And I want you to go and sign up for our newsletter. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, just what I need more mail in my inbox. But I'm telling you, this newsletter is going to have exclusive content. We're going to be doing contests, prizes, blogs from some really great writers, some uh, maybe even some video content that you haven't seen anywhere else. So get on, go to our new, it's really easy. Just put your name and your email address and you're signed up for our newsletter. We also have a new Instagram account just for this podcast. Before we were going to my Instagram, which is at the imbiber, and I still invite you to go there, but we also have one, the podcast has its own, and so it's all grows up. And that Instagram account is WWD underscore podcast. That is the What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn podcast is WWD underscore podcast. Also have a new Twitter account. That's WWD underscore pod. I guess we couldn't get the cast part on Twitter. It's a solo show only on Twitter. So yeah, that's what's happening. Let me have a little bit of whiskey here. Hold on. Mm-mm. So since this episode is, we're going to be talking to Mark for 50 Best Bars, I thought I would tell you a story. 
a story about an otherworldly, or I guess better yet, an afterworldly bar that I dreamed up where all my dead literary heroes congregate to wet their whistles. And the name of the bar is the Epilogue. The regulars like to say it's located at the end of a very long, very subjective, and perhaps even run-on comma-splice sentence. They're a grizzled lot, the habitués of the epilogue. A lot look a bit worse for the wear, but somehow they wear it well. These colorful ladies and gentlemen come from all over the world and from all walks of life. It's no wonder they all wound up hunkered down at the same dog-eared watering hole. We'll start with Scott out of St. Paul, Minnesota. A little guy, but throws them back like one of the big boys. At least he tries to. For being honest, though, he's a bit of a lightweight, and he gets real temperamental with a few gin rickies in him, which is to say every damn day and thrice on Sundays. To hear him tell it, Scott comes from a well-to-do family, but I ask him about his upbringing or his ex-wife, and he clams right up. Always wanted to know about that ex-wife. They say she was a real live wire. Of course, if Scott's around, Ernest can't be far away. Hails from the suburbs of Chicago. Folks call him Papa. Big dude. Cuts a romantic figure if you ask the ladies around here. And sure, everybody at the epilogue has a great story to tell, but few can spin a yarn like Papa. I mean, everyone has fish stories, but Papas have real fish in them. Tonight, it seems he's moving away from the whiskey, celebrating the new open-door Cuban policy with memories of the El Floridita and his beloved double daiquiris. Those are two and a half jiggers of rum, juice of two limes, half a grapefruit, a bit of maraschino, shaved ice. Damn. Larger than life. Just like Papa. You get three types of conversation at the epilogue. There's the kind that ends in sex, the kind that ends in a fight, the kind that never seems to end, like Dorothy Parker's. At the epilogue, she always seems to be four martinis into the night. But the way she mumbles is endearing, and anyone within earshot is sure to lean in for fear of missing out on one of her bon mots. You can't talk about mumbling in the epilogue without talking about Dr. Gonzo. Can't miss him. That's his red convertible parked on the sidewalk out front. A lot of people say you shouldn't smoke in bars anymore, but shouldn't isn't in the doctor's vocabulary. Guy takes a Chivas Rocks and a Dunhill and several too many trips to the bathroom with his attorney. Chandler and Fleming keep themselves at a booth in the back. A bit aloof, both of them. Mysterious bastards. Their fascination with crime knows no bounds, nor does their appreciation for fortified liquid. Chandler alternates between gimlets and straight bourbon. Fleming's a martini guy, though. Stirred, or was it shaken? I swear I was ready to leave two drinks ago, but shit, Hank came in started saying those hard things in that simple way. Even Papa clams up when the old guy holds forth. Then Hank did what Hank does, ordered drinks for all his friends. Then he moved off to talk to Chris Hitchens, the British dude by the window. Something about the difference between a democracy and a dictatorship. Chris has only been coming to the epilogue for a few years, but you'd never know it from the way he acts still believes in the political potential of America, though he seems to celebrate the virtues of a godless country more than most. Many of the regulars have a go-to beverage, but Chris is an equal opportunity in Biber. Wine, beer, liquor, hell. Set him up and he'll knock him down, so long as it's the good stuff. He only goes for the good stuff. And you already know his response if you try to buy him a shot of well liquor. 
Cheap booze is a false economy. We can't all be sweethearts. Take Bill Faulkner, voted least likely to be called a sweetheart, always moaning about wanting to go back to Yaknapato Fa County. And who the hell is this Absalom guy anyway? Besides, he's always sat out at that side table with Tennessee, drinking vu carres and moaning about Stella. But like any joint that's been around a while, melancholy sticks to the place like a highball glass on a dirty bar. Just about everyone who comes through the door is damaged goods. Some are destined to spend eternity nursing wounds that will never heal, blind to the limits of whiskey's curative powers. Alcohol may well be the anesthesia by which we endure the operation of life, but for the habitués of the epilogue, it's the poison that never quite finishes the job. The best and worst thing about the epilogue is that there's no such thing as last call, so you have to make a point of not overstaying your welcome. Otherwise, someone might inquire whether you might be better at home down the road a ways, swilling macro brews at the Comma Splice Cafe or sipping yesterday's wine at the dangling participle there. But I'll let you in on a little secret. You can spot the regulars at the epilogue. They're the only ones the bartenders ever let pay. Blow-ins like me pull out their wallets and our money's no good. One day, though, I hope I'll hunker down and buy a few rounds. For all my friends. At least, it's fun to think so. Hey, let me ask you something. What kind of underwear are you wearing right now? Does it feel like you're sitting in a heaven cloud? No? Maybe it's time for a change. Imagine how much more badass you'd feel right now if your undies were covered in pandas or sushi rolls. Mine are, because I wear me undies, which offers classic colors to ridiculous prints, all so you can fully express yourself in your own unique way. Speaking of which, Me Undies Gives is an initiative that supports those who have systemic barriers to their self-expression. By shopping Me Undies, you support causes such as LGBTQ plus communities, mental health and well-being, and women's rights. And Me Undies has a great offer for my listeners. Any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. Go to MeUndies.com/drinking. That's MeUndies.com. Slash drinking. Me undies believes you and your butt deserve comfort inside and out. And me, well, I just like saying the word butt. Joining me now is the former global editor of Food and Travel, which is the world's leading gastronomic travel magazine. But his current gig is the content editor for the world's 50 best bars and the world's 50 best restaurants. Welcome to the show, Mark Sansom. How are you, man? Very well indeed. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for having me on today. It's it's good to see you. Uh, Fifty best bars. So you, uh, this is a big deal in the in the world that I inhabit, that you inhabit. the uh, The world's fifty best bars twelfth annual awards ceremony took place virtually on November fifth, and you guys have been doing this since two thousand nine. Been publishing a list. It's the definitive list of the world's best drinking venues voted on by an academy of over 500 experts. Am I right on that? Spot on, yeah. 540 uh, experts this year that make up the academy. You come out with these bars. Now, let me explain to everybody listening out there. I've been in, I've been writing about spirits for about 21, 22 years, and it's a very insular community. And 
the, especially when we're talking about what you would call the craft cocktail world. And that, that's what we're talking about here for these bars. Like Spike's, Spike's Corner Bar isn't going to be on this list. Could be a great bar. You and I, I'm sure, Mark, could go into any pub in London, which is where you're coming from now, and probably have the time of our lives. But a bar like that's not going to make it onto this list. So what are we talking about? What kind of bars do make it onto this, to the world's 50 best bar list? Uh, yeah, so the world's 50 best bars list, I, if, if you think of, uh, as we've just discussed, there's 540 people who who cast a vote. Well, they actually all have seven votes. Four of those votes have to come from or can come from within their territory or country where they live, but three have to come internationally. So of those of those seven votes, we generally we generally get a great snapshot of the global bar scene as it is. And those 540 experts who go in to, to curate those votes, they're the, they're the leading light in the in the global bar scene that's made up of bartenders um, drinks writers and drinks historians all over the world and people who basically fly around the globe looking for the best cocktails so we put a lot of trust in those guys who uh, who make the make their seven votes and then basically set the agenda for the, the 50 best bars for the following year this year was a challenge i guess it, but you pulled it off let's talk about doing the first one that you've ever done normally you would have the ceremony in where would it be in london it's been in London, yeah, for the past for the past twelve years, yeah. So you had to do it virtually this year. How did that How did that go? God, it, was a, it was an interesting process. I can I can I can certainly tell you that it was. Uh, we had a lot, lots of firsts this year for for the world's fifty best bars. We uh, the, the the academy which we put together of five hundred forty people was gender balanced 50 50, uh, 50 50 men and women for the first time this year. Uh, then it came round to to February. And we realized in, in Europe, as I'm sure you guys did in the, in the States, that this thing coming down the line was going to be pretty, pretty darn serious. It was going to, it's going to affect all of us and our ways of lives in, in, in quite a significant fashion. So we had a meeting and obviously, like you, as you said at the beginning, at the top of the show, we, we, we run the, the 50 best restaurants alongside the world's 50 best bars. We weren't going to be able to put on a ceremony where a thousand people in the industry come together. We realized quite quickly. So. It came. It came to March, and we had a big meeting with uh, with everyone in, in my team and 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 a few few other people who were involved in that as well. And we thought, what can we do to serve best the hospitality community which we consider ourselves a part of? And we kind of split that into into three key areas. We thought, right, what do they need? Uh, people who are working in bars and restaurants at the moment, they need they need support and information. So we put together a, a content hub where people could sort of share stories and information. We gave advice from experts in particular fields to 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 sort of speak to one another and and, and let 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 people know how the pandemic was progressing in different parts of the world and then we thought the main thing they need is is money cold hard cash which they can they can use to use to stay in business support their employees right now in in the immediate so we put on uh, a number of uh, fundraising initiatives the first thing we did was we created a cookbook home comforts um, which which sort of brought together the world's best chefs and bartenders. So the chef would provide a recipe. We asked fifty of the world's top bartenders to produce a cocktail pairing to go with that, and that was. Now, super can anybody successful. get? Where can people get that book? So that's online. That's on our website, 50bestbars.com. So, I mean, that's still available. It's $10. We, we try to keep the cost pretty nominal um, so, so anyone can access it and, you, and start bucks. cooking like That's amazing. So it's a, it's, a, it's a digital copy then, right? Did, yeah, a complete ebook. Yeah, it's our first, uh, our first ebook. I'll send, I'll, I'll give you the hookup on the, if you could put oh. that on, that would be amazing. Now, just so we're clear here, so Mark said it's, it's worlds50bestbars.com and the 50. So it's worlds and then 50bestbars.com. That's where you want to go, right? It is indeed, yeah. I just want Mark. Well, Mark, I just want to make sure people aren't going to, you know, 
50 best bars, which is no. 50, that's 50 cents' favorite bars. You don't want to go there. <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean, they're, they're great places. I'm sure he's got some, I'm sure he knows good bars as well. I'm sure he's <laughs> he got does. a great, great Well, speaking of great yeah, bars. 50 bestbars.com. Let's, I don't want to, I can't handle the suspense anymore. Tell us, Mark, what is the number one bar in the world for 2020? Uh, the number one, the world's number one bar this year is the Connaught Bar in London. Oh, how convenient that it happens to be in your hometown. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Well, any, it, it, it was, uh, it was, any uh, funny business going on there? What's uh, happening? Well, I, I can assure you, it's uh, our voting process is audited by Deloitte, and we're uh, we're as clean as a whistle. But last year, uh, Dante in, in New York City was the uh, was the winner. So we, 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 it's generally shared between New York and London as the as the number one well, bar. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. So this is one of my. I want to talk about this. So. On the list, and we will talk about the Connaught Bar in, in a second, but on the list, Dante was the best bar in America, and it was number two on the overall list. And then there were four other bars on that list from the States. Attaboy was at number 12, Nomad Bar, number 13, Katana Kitchen at number 16, and Employees Only at number 38. Now, there's something that those bars all have in common. What is that? They serve fantastic cocktails. And what else? <laughs> I mean, that's that's a tough one. I mean, the, the excellent choice of glassware. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, what, what Mark's dodging here, they're all in New York City. And so I, it begs the <laughs> obvious question here, Mark, you do know there are other cities in America that have great bars, right? We're well aware of that. Yeah, indeed. Actually, in the, the academy this year, we split uh, split America, uh, North America, into into five key regions. So there was there's Mexico uh, down down in the down in the south of that, and then the America proper is split into four. So we've got the we've got the northeast, um, south, midwest, and west, and then and then Canada is its own jurisdiction, and they're all split into have the same number of voters, but. It turned out this year that everyone voted New York bars on Everybody top. Everybody went New York. No, and I, I bring that up not to not to give you shit necessarily, but no, it's, no, sure. but it is a common beef, and especially you know our big thing over here, tales of the cocktail, and you got the spirited awards. It is it's something that I hear people complain about is there is a, the New York bias, you know, and and especially within the bar community in America. You know, I live in Los Angeles. There are a lot of great bars here. San Francisco tends to represent pretty well in these competitions. But let's face it, it's places like Chicago don't all, you know, there's a few. I mean, you've got Denver's got Williams and Grant. Is it that the bars there are that much better or is it just that New York is such an iconic place that the judges are naturally gravitate towards it? I'd certainly say that it it's not the case that there aren't great great bars elsewhere in, in the US. I'd certainly suggest that um, your listeners look to another list we produce, which is the 51 to 100 list, which is, it sort of extends beyond the 50. And that's where you'll find lots of lots of bars from other other cities in the States. There's there's a great new entry, Pacific Cocktail Haven in San Francisco. I don't think that's too far from you, Dan. But what, what it kind of does suggest is our voters, they tend to be rooted for when they're traveling for, for guest shifts, exploring new bar scenes. They'll generally tend to be rooted for the key sort of cosmopolitan metropolitan hubs which are your new york berlin london so they might not always get the opportunity to to travel into into further reaches of, of of any of the countries to be honest with you but it's all about that that country's voting base to make sure they're voting for what they think are the best the best purveyors of their country's passing at that particular time well, this also brings up a sort of a disconcerting element to this. I mean, I, I'm I was reviewing the list of the bars, and there's so many great places. 
there's got to be a real fear, I guess, you know, that some of these places might not be here. You know, they might not survive what we're going through, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, have any? Have, do you know of any that are, you know, that haven't, that have already gone under? Or? So only one, actually. In, in, in curating this year's list, um, I personally got in touch with all 100 bars who are on the 1 to 50 and 51 to 100 lists to speak about whether they what, what their situation was, if we could offer, offer, offer a grant from our 50 Best Recovery Grant Scheme, which we were raising the money for with a cookbook and, and an auction. Um, and not only one of them came back saying uh, that they had pl- no plans to reopen, and that was a bar in Miami called uh, La Sirenus, uh, which was a hotel bar, which was which was which was doing great things, but they decided that it wasn't wasn't the right right for them to continue the business. But every other bar on the list um, is is planning to reopen or has reopened or is shut temporarily through COVID. So yeah, we're pretty confident that these 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 bars are working so so darn hard to keep it going and get and provide a, a drinking destination for people when they need them the most. There's also this idea, and I, I hope this doesn't sound cold or callous, is that, let's face it, this winter's coming and we're going to lose a lot of places. A lot of places are not going to make it through this, right? But at the end of this, there's going to be opportunity. And you're going to, I think you're going to see new styles of bar. Would you agree with, I, I think, so to give you, an, for example, in Los Angeles, oddly enough, you know, I'm on the west side of Los Angeles in Venice. There weren't a lot of places that offered great outdoor drinking spaces. You would mm-hmm. think there were, but they're just the city would be very, you know, maybe it's the city with permitting and whatnot. Now, bars have had and restaurants have had to pivot and fence in their parking lots. And that's how all these places out here are staying open in warm weather places. You know, they've, and I think that's going to be the new normal now. I think you're going to see a new, a whole new era of bars and restaurants are going to emerge from COVID, the way that business is done. Would you Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. If there's one thing that this pandemic has shown us, it's how how creative the, the bar industry and bartenders can absolutely, be. Absolutely, absolutely. The way, absolutely, the, right, the way yeah. all bars have pivoted to ready-to-drink cocktails and delivery cocktails, and that's not just in the States and Europe. That's all over the world. It's now become a revenue stream which isn't going to go away. And similarly, everyone has had to, to pivot or look at the, what they've actually got in their infrastructure that they can turn into something, a new hospitality experience. And, and I'm yeah, very surprised to hear what the situation is that with, with you guys in LA, but likewise in London where we aren't quite blessed with as good a weather Similarly, they've pivoted to to outdoor dining in Soho, which is in the heart of heart of London. People are now taking up tables on the street, and that's going to go on through the through the winter when we get out of our second phase lockdown on second of December, hopefully. Now, how does that happen, though, Mark? Like, it's going to get colder in London. How are they going to stay outside? Just heating heat lamps? Is that the idea? That, yeah, I've seen all sorts actually, and seen crazy things discussed i mean there's yeah heat lamps i think are probably the, the the main thing the the british temperament of staying outside uh until you have to go in will probably come in handy but they're also i've seen like igloos i've seen little pods with uh, which can host like two or three guests some some even six where the where the bartenders will bring uh will bring the service out to them but yeah i think we're we're, we're, we're approaching a winter as you, i think you alluded to of discontent but with real sort of real challenges and people prepared to face those challenges look they've already faced bartenders particularly have faced 
so much in the last eight months. I think another two months hard graft through the winter, and hopefully we might be through the worst of it and start start seeing some positivity. But I think, as again, as you said, I think we're, we're going to see some really innovative venues come out. People are going to be leaving offices in, in city centres, houses, flats, all sorts of potential opening spaces become available. And we're going to see a really interesting new generation of bars, bar owners and operators. It's uh, it's obviously very sad at the moment and we're going to we're not over the worst of it yet. But there are exciting potential future uh, things ahead, which are going to which are going to reinvent the industry. Now, talking about these awards, 50 best bars, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And this is sort of something that's sort of stuck in my craw for a while. I always kind of felt like not only these things, but also comp- you know, cocktail competitions. I'm always concerned, and how would you respond to people like me that had this concern that when you when you pit bars, bartenders against one another like this, what you ultimately wind up with are a bunch of unhappy bar folks. And then you got a handful who are just another win or two away from getting gigantic heads if they're not already there. Is that... A, how do you respond to that? And I get it's all. And, I, and by the way, I'm I'm I'll bitch about anything. I'm just gonna let you know that <laughs> I, I, I understand. Now, if I won an award, I'd be like, it's great, you know. Of course, a podcasting award. Yes, I'm the best. But no, we all know that you know Dante is an amazing bar, and and I love that place. I've been that when when I go to New York, I go to Dante. But there's there's a hundred other bars that I could say are are as good, and you get that yeah. too, right? It's it, but that's the same thing with the academy. I, I'm I'm now refuting my own argument. Let me argue with myself now, no. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, no, you pick it up I, from I, here. I, I totally understand what you're saying, but excellence is celebrated in in every industry, for, from architecture to to soccer to American football. There's there's generally an end of seasons awards, and what we're trying to do with the world's fifty best bars, we want to give a reliable list of 50 bars that patrons can can visit and be guaranteed and assured of a good service and a great night out. That's all we're trying to do with the list of uh, the list of the top the, the world's 50 best bars. We're, we're looking to provide a list and, and we do that with the fairest, fairest and most, most equitable situation that we can in terms of the voting, the voting Academy that we have in place. And we believe that there's, there's no better way to, to create a fair and equal system to provide that list. Now, fans of the list, is there any sort of a club or I would imagine something like this must have popped up where people hit all 50 bars? Yeah, there's actually a couple. I don't think anyone has made it through last year's uh, top 50, but in previous years, actually more so with, with the world's 50 best restaurants, um, there's actually one guy, Paul Grimberg, who's, who's been to every one of the of the world's 50 best restaurants, and it's very interesting to hear. But no person I'm aware of has been to every bar uh, in the world's 50 best bars. So I, if anyone, if any of your listeners are out there, we are we're always we'd love I'd love to speak to you, or if you've been to any more than I think the most I've heard is is 40. So if you've been to been to more than that, then please do hit me up. Well, I, I'd like to think of myself. You know, I, I'm in this business and I've been doing this yeah. for a long time. But I'm looking at the list right now. Now, I've been to, I think, all of the ones in the U.S., but I'm looking at some of the places on this list. And I got to tell you, just, I'm just going to throw them out because they sound like a lot of folks. Okay, so I've been to the American Bar in London, of course. But some of these places really sound like a, a lot of fun. And I want to know if you've been there. So first off, the Clumsies, number yeah. three bar in the world, the Clumsies in Athens, Greece. What do you know about the Clumsies? Because I love the name. 
Per, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place. Personally, I've not actually been, but every person who, who I've spoken to who has, it's just a really, I mean, the Greeks are known for wonderful hospitality and, and welcoming spirit. And the Clumsies is an embodiment of that. They, they're they so friendly and so welcoming that they'll even give you the recipe to their best cocktails to go away with. And that's uh, after after many years of secrecy and uh, and intellectual property on, on recipes. It's just wonderful to see a bar that's so open minded and so open to their, 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 their consumers, their guests coming in and just having a great time that they'll, they'll give the they'll give the shop away with it maybe sammy in sydney australia maybe Sammy. it's uh it, again it's fortunate it's one that i haven't been to and that's the the winner of the mictus art of hospitality award this year uh, but they're doing wonderful things and particularly their, their style of hospitality which is really interesting this year they've they've kind of torn up the rule book of what's traditionally accepted as gold standard hospitality in cocktail bars and, and hotel cocktail bars what they'll do they'll uh, the guests will the guests will come in and they'll they'll leave them let them settle down a little bit and then they'll go and present them with a toy like a, a gun which fires bubbles or, or just something ridiculous which kind of disarms the guest and in such a sort of clean lined beautiful uh, beautiful cocktail bar it makes them it puts people a little bit at a bit off ease but then they go on to having one of the one of the best evenings that they'll ever have and it's um yeah a great bar and, and it doesn't hurt that it's in the rocks in sydney which is a beautiful spot any time of year i have such conflicting emotions right now because i'm there part of me is excited you know you hear about that and then and then I just get sad because I think, when am I going to get to go to this place, <laughs> Mate, man? Tell me about like it. I'm looking at this list right now. So here's a, Drink Kong in Rome, Italy. Drink Kong. What do you know about Drink Brilliant. Kong? Yeah, he's he's run by a guy called Patrick Pistolesi, who actually spent a lot of his career working in uh, in New York, and he's half he's half uh, half Italian, half Irish. So you can imagine the the hospi- the hospitality spirit is rich in that one. He's, uh, right here, Dunn is my last name, and my mo- my father and my mother's Fabrizio. Ah, hey, right down the middle, Irish Italian. I so you don't have to tell me anymore. There you go. I'd put you well, get in touch with Patrick. He'll uh, he'll host you uh, more than more than amicably, and that's a great sort of neon focused bar. So that similar to Katana Kitten, the the bar that you mentioned at the top, it's kind of cut in the in the in the hybrid of Japanese bartending style, but mixed with a bit of Blade Runner, lots of neon in there. It's just uh, really interesting, beautiful, but idiosyncratic space that we, that, that sort of embodies the the fifty best list this year. Actually, really sounds nice. like such a great spot. Now this is an interesting name uh, in Shanghai, China. Sober Company. <laughs> Tell me yeah, about that one. Ironically named, actually, that one as well. It's uh, it's run by a guy called Shingo Gokan, who actually spent a lot of time learning his craft in New York as well. He arrived in New York with uh, without a word of English to his name, uh, and 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 learnt the language from the from the ground up just from just from listening to his patrons' conversations and and uh, shaking bars, uh, shaking drinks. But he's uh, yeah, now he's gone back to he's gone back to gone back to Asia to open launch launch a few bars and. And sober company is is what he does. He specialises in multifaceted spaces. So that one, that particular bar has got four different venues inside one. So it's the kind of place where you start at the bottom and end up at the top a little bit, um, a little bit worse for wear, but ready for a cigar. Now let's go back and talk about the number one bar. And I'm sure you probably patronise that place because it, it is in your hometown of London. Kind of. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to, enough to go to that one, and that's run by uh, a guy, a guy called Agostino Peroni, who who sort of risen the ground, uh, risen the bar from the ground up as well. He he joined in 2008, and he's made the bar very much in his own image, and it's it's focused on any number of classical drinks. But where they've really sort of set their stall out is with their martini. Now, the martini is uh, is a drink with only three ingredients, as as, as most of 
your listeners will know. And they've sort of elevated that to art form and, and they've got a trolley which they will deliver the service to to the guests and the guest tables and they'll they'll arrive and then they'll ask for which kind of combination of bitters and gin uh, and, and and vermouth they might want to mix into their drink and they make it a very very personalized uh, experience and service and yeah and with Ag- Agostino and his uh, his colleagues Maura Miller and um, and Giorgio Bargiani they're uh, they're probably the, the the holy trinity of Italian bartenders which uh, right now everyone is aspiring to be to. What's the famous the other famous spot though in London for martinis where everything's fro- free frozen uh, what, so the Savoy right? Uh, yeah, the yeah, American bar at the Savoy is which which won the world's best bar title in in 2017. They're uh, also also very well known for martinis, but that that's that's one of the bars which is still actually currently shut um, through the pandemic, and they'll be reopening in early December with with hope that they might be able to make a bit of the Christmas crowd. But yeah, they're they're, they're also known for an excellent martini. Now, understanding that you you have to be diplomatic about this, but you are, you show up. Let's let's post pandemic. You fly to New York. What's the first bar you're going to go to? Oh, um, that's a that's a very very tough one. But I, I think it would probably be uh, Nomad Bar. The Nomad Bar in the yeah, hotel yeah. there. Yeah. So yeah, in the hotel with uh, Leo Robichek. He's, uh, he's he's a good friend. So it'd probably be and he'd probably be more to catch up with him. He's uh, he's actually suffered for a, he, he caught COVID through the right at the beginning of it. Actually, oh, I didn't know that. Of, yeah, I know yeah, Leo too. To, yeah, I wasn't aware that he, he got it. He's okay yeah, now. I think he got it. I hope you wouldn't mind me saying, but yeah, I think he got it actually quite bad, but he's, he's okay now. And he's actually in London launching uh, nomad in London. Um, so I think he's, he's probably, he's probably pretty much recovered, but yeah, just to catch up with him and uh, uh, yeah, enjoy that bar there. It's a All right. Place. So now you leave the nomad bar. Where are you going next? Can I, Don't let me, that. let me throw an out. What about, I think you might get under the dead rabbit. Yeah, I'd, I'd happily go into the dead rabbit any day of the week and twice on, twice on Sundays to enjoy the, to enjoy the hospitality there. Do you have a favorite dive bar in the United States? So many, so many. I can't remember actually, to be perfectly honest with you. They're, they're the kind of bars which which I'll go into at the end of the night, and then uh, probably won't probably won't think too much about them until. Are there any cities that are maybe not? You know, we've already talked about Los Angeles, San Francisco, yeah. New York. Do you have any other favorite drinking cities in the state? Like you know, that jump out at you. So certainly, I, I think uh, the whole area around Miami is really, really coming up now. But and this might be a little bit con- controversial to say, but um, I, I think some of the cocktail bars in Vegas are really, really up there with with the best in the world, particularly in the in the style of service that they offer and in terms of the bartenders that they can recruit as well. There's there's some great there's the Electra in, uh, in I can't remember I think it's in the Bellagio, which is just a, it's, it's majors in mezcal and agave spirits, and it's it's the kind of bar which you don't expect to find in Vegas, but yeah, it does things really, really well yeah no vegas has a, a, a bunch of them i would throw in a, a few other cities i mean new orleans has such a yeah, great oh, absolutely new orleans has such a great scene we mentioned denver i think uh washington dc certainly has got some places boston uh but yeah it's it is going to be really interesting and i and that would be what i guess i want to leave with marcus as someone who knows bars you study bars you're you you're with world's 50 best bars what do you see say 3 4 5 years down the line we talked about covid and the impact it's going to have what are some of the major changes new things that you see coming down the pike uh, in the bar world yeah good good question actually i think that 
the main thing that I'm sort of starting to see the the very early germs of is sort of cocktail pairings with with food and high end restaurant menus. So I mean, what we've what we've seen particularly in the last eighteen months, there's a lot of lower ABV, ABV serves, no low to zero alcohol drinks. Whereas you couldn't previously match a tasting menu to a cocktail as you would previously with matching wines, because cocktails you're looking at huge ABV where you'd probably be unlikely to to get through six or seven of them. Now we're sort of being enlightened to a world of slightly lower ABV more spritz slightly longer like slightly longer serves the cocktail and food pairing menu is really about to to start its true genesis to be honest i think it's it's a, it's a really exciting time for bartenders and the way they're the way they're looking at processes which chefs might use such as fermentation um centri- centrifuges uh, and various other sort of roto roto evaporators which we're we're seeing now behind all of the lots of top drinks which are being developed so yeah i think food and cocktail pairing taken to the nth degree is going to be something that's going to be really interesting interesting to to witness grow over the next three years and of course the uh the bartender the celebrity the rise of the celebrity bartender we're already starting to see um sort of bartending shows as we get in master chef in the in, in the and the sort of iron chef which you get in the in the states down in south america um, a number of bartenders uh there's a very similar competition which is like master chef where bartenders will come on and create their create sort of idiosyncratic and unique drinks and I think we're going to we're going to start seeing a lot more of that in, in North America and Europe as the the bartenders will become as as famous as celebrity chefs before long. I'm sure. What about a virtual element? We're doing this over Zoom right now. Mm. I don't think this is going away. I was imagining a future where you could be in a bar in London and maybe they've got a big screen up and somebody's going to steal my idea now, but you've got a big screen up there and you've got drinkers and exactly what you're talking about, the celebrity bartender and like, hey guys, we're going to zap on over to, we're going to zap on over to San Francisco right now where Tommy, uh, we're going to get a Tommy's margarita and could you see something like that happening where you're going to have people interacting in bars with people across the world? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I think we've all, we've all been ingratiated to to this software of Zoom. I mean, and it's not completely perfect, but the way it's it's brought the community together over the last eight months has been invaluable. And it, and it maybe if, if, if you look back sort of five, 10 years, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. There would have been a lot more isolation for bar communities all over the world. So yeah, absolutely. I could certainly see people ch- tuning in to, to watch Julio uh, cook, making, making margaritas uh, over across London. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that being a part of it. It's not going to go away. I think we might well uh, we're all a bit sick of virtual happy hours and uh, drink along but, but <laughs> oh no us, i love uh, this i don't like <laughs> no. I, well that that brings up an interesting point what happens with next year's list because you're going to pretty much have a year where no one went to bars it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation and one that we're having a lot of at the moment. But it's we, we've got a number of ideas and how we're going to keep it fair and equitable across the world. But because the situation with coronavirus is changing so quickly, we don't want to tie our colours to any particular mast and say right. This is what we're going to do for for, for 2021. We've, we've got a few things, a few ideas. Our first event of the year is um, Asia's 50 Best Bars, which takes place in May, and we want we want something which can be rolled out fair and equitably across all of our franchises um, over over the next year and beyond. So yeah, watch this space. What do they get? They get a trophy. They get a cash prize. What do they get if they win the? What did the Connaught Bar get this year? Uh, a, a trophy. A scarf. Uh, the the bartenders red scarves uh, sponsored by Matusalem are, are, are they're sort of their biggest uh, the biggest accolade. Maybe they get a they get a bespoke cocktail shaker. Do, do they all get who does everybody that works at that bar get one get a prize? No. So there's just there's just two two scarves per bar, uh, one cocktail shaker and and one trophy if they're lucky enough to win uh, to win one of the one of the bigger awards. But everyone gets a plaque to uh, to, to 
screw up outside the bar. But yeah, there's no there's no cash prize, no financial incentives directly. Um, but obviously, the, the the accolade of being uh, the world's best bar sponsored by Perrier comes with its own uh, comes with its own uh, accountability of, of getting lots of bums on seats. And is it generally? I know it was just held virtually. Is it generally in November? When the, is that when the awards are always held? Uh, generally held at the beginning of October. So there is hope that there will be an actual live ceremony in person next year. If I could tell you how tightly my fingers were crossed for that, um, I, I wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to give you enough of uh, how how sore my right knuckles would be. But it's uh, yeah, we're, we're absolutely hoping we're really really hoping that we can put on an event in person. Bartenders are the most sociable people in the world, and for them to have a year apart from from giving each giving each other sort of big hugs and sloppy kisses, it's very tough for all of them. I am right there with you, man. I hope for nothing else than to be able to go and check out a lot of these bars. And for you, if you at home want to check it out, go to worlds50bestbars.com to check out the bars on that list and, and make yourself a little, uh, what do they call those things when you put it up on the board? A uh, You try to visualize a, a dream, uh, what do they? Hello, a mood map. A vision board. Map. Make your vision, vision board. board. So go yeah. to the list and print up some of those bars and put them up there and have a vision board. Say, I'm going to hit... I'm going to hit those and then get ready for next year's list. Uh, I got to tell you, Mark Sansom, the content editor for World's 50 Best Bars, World's 50 Best Restaurants, it's been great talking to you, man. It it really uh, has been a reminder of why I'm in this. You know, sometimes, you know, I joke about being stuck. I don't really want to be stuck in my house Zooming, but, you know, it's it's been a good long seven, eight months of this. And like you, man, I really miss going out. I really miss talking to people. I really miss engaging with bartenders and seeing what they're doing and talking to you today has reminded me that it's coming. There is a light at the end of this tunnel. Absolutely, Dan. Well, I hope I hope to one day share a drink with you and we can uh, we, we can enjoy it in person. But yeah, just to all your listeners, go out and support your local bars if as soon as they become available. Because if they if 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 we don't go and support them in their time of need, then they won't be there when we really need them to celebrate. So yeah, cheers. Thanks very much, Dan. Mark Sansom, everybody. Thank you, Mark. As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. Their unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Cave. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. Okay, so the holiday season is here, and obviously this is a holiday season unlike any we've experienced before. Going to be real scaled back. No parties, no gatherings, no office shindigs. But you can still make cocktails at home and enjoy them and try to get the most that you can out of this holiday season. To that end, I'd like to offer a cocktail suggestion. Earlier this year, we did a two-part episode called The 20 Most Important Cocktails of All Time, and one of the ones that made the list at number 11 was the Negroni. Fantastic drink, and I chatted up the great Simon Ford of Forge Gin. He's been in the 
Boo's business a long time. He knows his stuff. So I'm going to leave you today with Simon and I, a quick chat, a couple of minutes, just chatting about the Negroni. And I invite you to whip one up. If it's not Thanksgiving yet, make one on Thanksgiving and raise a toast to me and I'll cosmically raise one back to you. Okay. And if it's after Thanksgiving, hell, make an after Thanksgiving Negroni and enjoy yourselves. And uh, I'll see you on the next show. But here's uh, Simon and I. It's, it's more than just a cocktail. It's become a lifestyle. And in at number 11, it's a drink called the Negroni. We love the drink. It's a very simple drink, right? Very, very simple drink. So it was uh, allegedly created at a Barcassoni in Florence, Italy. Um, and, and it was definitely created there. The alleged part is that it was uh, mistakenly made as an Americano. It was named after Count Camillo Negroni and who it was made for. And the history of it was um, captured by uh, a bartender down the road called Luca Picci, who um, was at a place called the Cafe Rivoire, also in Florence. And so we have this history. We've been drinking this, this drink that essentially they added gin instead of soda water to an Americano. And here we have this drink that is a mixture of Campari, which has definitely had a major comeback with this drink, sweet vermouth, so nice sweet Italian mouth and gin. Equal parts. I think I liked up the gin, but then you knew I was going to say that. And I think that what's been amazing for me is I've seen the comeback of this drink and I've seen how attitudes have changed uh, to it. You know, it, when it was first being drunk by bartenders, it was in a similar way that Fernet Branca is or Malort. You know, it was like this, um, this coded, uh, here's something pretty disgusting that you, you, you know, and it's evolved into something that we really like. I remember bartenders coming up to me and saying, you know, the great thing about a Negroni is you can never mess this drink up. You could go into a dive bar and you could ask them to just put these three ingredients in with their bad ice and, and they could stir it with your own finger and this thing would taste good. Of course, we, you and I both know that that's bullshit, but that's how we were drinking Negronis at the beginning of this craft cocktail movement, we were literally going to any bar. Well, you know, I, I not to, you talk about the beginning of it. The very first time I ever had it, uh, way back in 2000, I went to Turin, Italy for the uh, Grand, nice. Martini Grand Prix of bartending. And one of the people that was long on the trip who I just met then was now become a dear friend, Dale DeGroff. Uh, Dale is arguably the most uh, uh decorated bartender alive in in the united states right now and uh so dale uh, introduced me to like a wealth of libational pleasures when we were over there in turin and it really kind of opened my eyes to the beauty of a well-made cocktail so at his urging i tried my very first negroni at cafe torino in oh, wow. in turin italy and then i had nice. my second and my third and it was a revelation you know again basic it's gin sweet vermouth and campari but when you stir it together it is a delectable aperitivo and uh, oh and remember the orange twist garnish it's a sacred and essential component of this cocktail if you're tempted by lemons resist <laughs> i i have to say that it's, it's funny that you said it was dale because i watched tony abaganum another great bartender that uh really helped kickstart the bartending scene and uh jack bezadenhut who is based out in san francisco just constantly tell bartenders you need to drink this drink you need to drink this drink and i swear to god if they don't have shares in campari i'm not sure what, sure what their uh, motives were but jack even went on to create something uh, called the 10 negroni club where he'd go around with this giant cocktail shaker and with with 10 friends and have them make 10 10 negronis and he was like 
converting people one after the other. And I think this is like 2002. And now it is probably, yeah, the most popular bartender drink we know of. I, I would say so. Our, our old friend, our late, the late great uh, Gaz Regan, Gary Regan, was a, uh, you know, <laughs> oh. Gary wrote about that in his, he wrote a book called The Negroni, Drinking to La Dolce Vita. And uh, <laughs> really got into it. And, and if, if Gaz loved that drink, I love that drink. And that's why we put it at number 11 on our list, the Negroni. Simon, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dan Dan. 